Die Worrell is back. You are listening to The Bill Podcast. With me, Natalie Rolls. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com. shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk and cityfiction.co.uk Hello, you lovely lot, and welcome to a brand new The Bill Podcast Trilogy. This time, I am delighted to be chatting to my dear friend Jane Wall, who I first met in the 90s, long before we both joined The Bill. Jane now lives in Los Angeles, and in part one, she tells me about life in LA and her recent acting work on shows like Grey's Anatomy. God, so brilliant. We then go for a trip down memory lane to her childhood and growing up in 70s South London. We also begin to chat about all things Sun Hill, starting with her guest appearance in the episode Heartbreak Hotel. Jane is an absolute delight and I hope you all enjoy our chat. Jane! Hello! Hi, Natalie Rolls. In my head, I always go, Jane Wall, because you're in America now. I'm in America now, yeah. It's raining here at the moment. It's been kind of miserable weather. And, I'm smiling. Um, Why am I smiling? <laughs> it's just nice to see you, see your lovely face. We go back pre-bill, and we've got mutual friends, and I've just got uh, just flashes of our life when I knew that Oliver wanted to put us together I'm like oh this is so exciting so oh, I'm very happy to do this with you and I can feel you from LA Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> it is LA isn't it it is LA Los Angeles have lived here for now 16 years yeah but I always go back to England every year apart from you know the years that we couldn't I love London, I love England, and I love showing my kids England. I love seeing it through their eyes. You know, when we go back, they just think it's so charming. I know that's very a trite one that Americans use, but it truly is. I was back in London last week or a week ago, and just everyone is just so polite and lovely. The thing that got me, that charmed me the most this trip was whenever you got on the bus, people, it was half term and people shout out, thank you driver. And it's <laughs> the old people. It's not just elderly people. It's the youngsters. They're looking at their elders and they get off the bus and they're like, thank you driver. And it's, oh, it's oh, they don't do that in LA then. People don't do that in LA. No, no. I remember thinking that about taxi drivers when you've been away and then you come back and you think, oh, just that conversation with someone you don't know, but they've got the, it's the charm. It's the Brit charm, love, innit? And it was Croydon, innit? 
It's Croydon, isn't it? I'm a Croydon girl. I even put these earrings on today because I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I've got to get the Croydon vibe going. <laughs> <laughs> Not Primani. <laughs> Primani. We went shopping. You took me shopping in LA. So my boy was one. Wow. So that was 15 years ago. And I remember us going shopping and you knew where to go. And we were just like, it was fantastic. And I remember when you lived in London, you had something on your fridge. Oh, yeah. Yes. I had the Hollywood sign, didn't I? Yeah. And you were like, I'm going to go there. I want to live in America. And you've been there 16 years and you've put your footing down and and you've stayed because a lot of people don't stay that is true it's a very transient place but you're absolutely right Natalie I had this little magnet on my fridge yeah I really wanted to live in America I wanted to live in Los Angeles and so many members of my family were like Jane is it really gonna happen is it is it gonna happen and it was a long process it didn't happen overnight but you know I got my green card and then citizenship and it happened and yeah was was that magnet something to do with it who knows but it's definitely I was was thinking about it every day every time I went into the fridge (laughs) it was there it was coming through there's something to be said about manifestation you visualized it didn't you I remember you you were very yeah you were focused was I was I you'd also met your hubby your gorgeous hubby I did. And you were both on on an adventure. I met a northerner in Los Angeles and fell in love. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Yes. I mean, I would have never met him in London. It's so interesting how things happen that he just happened to be in Los Angeles for for a month, and I met him there. The stars were aligned. I was meant to be there, and he was too. <laughs> oh, lovely, Joe. Wow, I'm looking at what you've been doing in America. I know it takes a while because it's flooded, isn't it? It's flooded with actors, people needing managers, people needing agents. It's full on, isn't it? And I've spent a very small amount of time there. It was always just like passing through, but you stuck at it. When you first go to LA, I'm sure you have the same feeling when you go here. It's very seductive. People want to meet you. You know, you... It's very different in England. People don't necessarily take meetings. You know, you can you'll go and see a casting director when there is a job, but here in LA, people take meetings. They're good at taking meetings, and it's very seductive when you first get here. People want to see you, and your ego is like, oh "My God, yeah, they they love me. They want to see me. They want to be up with coffee." But it's just what they do here. It's culturally what they do there. So. You know, I was one of those actors, I was completely swayed and charmed by that. And, you know, my ego probably was a little bit out of control. So I was thinking, oh my God, yeah, this is this is great. This is, this is amazing. I also had my sister had moved here as well at the time. But I used to have this reoccurring dream about the Spanish roof tiles. When I first got to LA, first time I came here, I was like, this is the place in my dream. This is the place that I always see. It's those tiles that I always see in my dream. (laughs) So I had this kind of feeling that it was, I don't know, you're a bit of a traveler, but it was like, you know, you kind of get that vibe of, yeah, this is is where I'm meant to be. 
it felt like you'd been there before in a sense wherever that state was that you could feel this was right yeah it felt very right and I know that people have different times in LA you know I think there is a dark side to LA but there's a very light side to it and I kind of went into that that slipstream of the lightness and the beach and the sun and the light is so fantastic and you know, obviously the acting thing, I think for all actors, well, a lot of actors, not all actors, but it's a career that has its peaks and troughs, right? Absolutely. <laughs> is that the way to put it? <laughs> more peaks and less troughs, please. <laughs> I wish there was more peaks. No more troughing. <laughs> less troughing, but we would not be who we are without the troughing. And that's fine. But actually having a positive spin like you wouldn't dream of the meetings going on here in a sense you're always waiting for that meeting what you're saying is it's like you're celebrated a bit more but sometimes that energy doesn't go anywhere and then that's another navigation you know i think in england what is it it's like people will see you because there's something about to happen you you might be onto a sure thing you know by having the meeting Whereas here, the meeting, nothing, it might not lead to anything. But that's not to diminish it because there's energy in that. Is that what you're saying as well? There's energy in yeah. having a meeting. That's more positive. I mean, I don't know about you, but since lockdown and having to do everything on, do they still exist over there where you have to do your self-tapes? Yeah, you do lots of self-tapes. But you don't hear anything back. That's I why that's I find, I, do you hear back or <laughs> I don't hear back? <laughs> it goes into the ether and then Where it goes my manager will say oh Jane that was a great job that's it goes in the trough file <laughs> dropping off you go swipe trough <laughs> you've got OA on your CV I think I saw the first series but I think you're in the second series aren't you I'm in the second series it's, as my grandmother would say, a blink and you miss me part. I literally come on at the end. But my claim to fame is that Zendaya is in that series. You're like her. You're gorgeous. I've always, uh, you could easily play. Her mother. <laughs> yeah, be her mother. Why not? <laughs> let's manifest that. Yeah, let's manifest that now. <laughs> Yeah, are you seriously, you're gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Have you met anyone like that, like walking down the street? Do you sort of go, oh, because LA must be like that all the time. The person I probably see the most is Ben Affleck, which is so weird. <laughs> I think he must live nearby, close to this road called Montana Avenue, which is quite a kind of stushy juju road. There's lots of cafes and nice restaurants and nice shops. He's always around he's always around yeah that's that's probably my most recent star spot but there's always someone in LA Slatan Ibrahimovic on the you know and he was in LA to see him because my son's the massive soccer player they were always at some pitch you know somewhere you've got Grey's Anatomy on your CV Grey's Anatomy was, was, was mega, yeah. My daughter's starting to watch that from the beginning. I think there's like 26 seasons or something, maybe more. Obviously going into, as the guest star, into a show where there's just 
regulars all around you. I was in the last two episodes. So it had that kind of end of school vibe. Everyone was quite giddy and very happy that the season was coming to an end. But people were so lovely and wonderful. And every time I was on set, I thought about the bill and thought about the camaraderie that you have when you're working with the same group of people day in, day out in quite intense situations and you're working for long hours. And yeah, they really made me feel valued and included. And that, I think, is what we did at The Bill. I, well, I hope to think that we did at that. You know, we were the regulars, that people were coming in for those days or, you know, they're coming in for half a day that you kind of, you know, wrapped your arms around them metaphorically. <laughs> I think all visitors did feel like that. I know I did. I think this leads perfectly on to Heartbreak Hotel, your very first episode as a guest. And I know that Oliver put some footage together. Oh, it's so funny because the exposition, the stuff, the the detail that you have to say in just a few sentences. And you made it so brilliant. You you look 12. It is, when you look at those scenes, it is like, is that me? Is that is that like a different reality? Are we in a different paradigm? Like, what happens with time and how we look? And even now, look at you. I mean, oh. come on, honey. <laughs> <laughs> that first episode, when I was in for a guest star, you're absolutely right. If you've watched any crime dramas over the year, there's always that character who spill the bit, spills the beans. They basically are there to give plot away, to give the exposition. And I remember when I got the lines thinking, okay, I can see that that's what I have to do. But I really wanted to create something with his character. And I felt like I put so much work into it and I made it kind of cheeky and I made her a bit flirty. But you're right, I'm just giving those lines to, to drive the plot along. Perfectly done. And... I've got to say, you're, even then, it's like you're a natural, instinctive actor. You've got, you could really, I knew it what it was, in a sense, that we've done those scenes over our careers. And I knew what you were doing. And it was just, it was lovely. It was very light and it was very realistic. You know, you had your London accent. <laughs> Very sad, tonight. I'm very sad. So funny. I love it. I remember Libby and Sean just both being so grounded. You know, they were so kind of normal and made me feel so comfortable because it's really nerve-wracking going in for a day's work. I just remember them, they were just, they were just chill and they were calm and it just, their vibe just kind of seeped into me. And then also there was a director called Jen Maguire on on that shoot and we worked with him I don't know if you worked with him later on but he was one of those directors who he got you to do the takes quite a few times and he directed you he gave me notes and he was one of those directors that wasn't just he liked setting up a shot that so it looked really really nice but he was also interested in the acting and would give you some personal notes and I remember coming away from that day and thinking, God, I really acted today. I had a, I really had some lines. It wasn't a blink and you missed me part. I had some lines, but I got directed. 
you, there's a collaboration when you have a director like that. And I, I know that on the bill, there were sometimes directors who were, you know, they had so much to do in such a short time, or maybe they just didn't have the confidence to speak to us. But I always think that if ever I directed something, I would be collaborative with my actors. I'd want to talk to them. I'd want to give them notes. I'd want to have some back and forth with them. And I really felt that with Jeff McGuire. And I, he kind of put me through my paces. It was fun. It was really fun to do that. We were lucky in those days, weren't we, to have the feedback, exactly that. And Jeb McGuire, he was always into the one-shots. Do you remember? He he loved doing the big, grand one-shots. And he would just check in with you to make sure you knew what you were meant to be doing at that point. Right, I'm going to shock you now. I love this picture. <laughs> George. Aww. Oh, do you still dance to his music? I do. I love George. I love George Michael. Oh, that's such a great picture. Look at you with your little... Look at my smile. I couldn't have been happier. Where was that? That was the Capital Radio Junior Disco. And my friend, Little Jane, won a competition. And it was to interview Wan. Oh. In those days, remember you didn't have even voicemail or you didn't have the, the machine. And they'd called like multiple times at her house. <laughs> And her dad had picked up and like, like Jane, someone was trying to get hold of you. And it was Capital Radio trying to get hold of her to tell her that she had a ticket for her and plus the plus one to interview them for the radio. It was amazing. It was... Oh my God. So how old were you there? 13. Oh. And I loved Wham. Still love them. I was convinced I was going to marry George Michael. Well, you sort of got a Northern version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just as good looking. That happens well, though. <laughs> or sing. Or sing. <laughs> Where did it all start, Jane, when you were in London? I went to drama school. I went to Mount View Theatre School. It was there that I met this amazing teacher called Sam Cogan, who had a school called the Science of Acting. And that was on Holloway Road, and I went there after uh, Mount View. I kind of credit him with my love of acting, because he was all about teaching a kind of the psychology of act, acting and psychology of what we do. And it was all about your thoughts and your thinking. And if you could work out your own thinking, therefore you could then work out the thoughts of your character. His teaching was very much about, you know, looking at your own thinking, being aware. He taught us how to meditate. He brought in yoga. He brought in something called silent sounds, which was also like meditation. But he also, we also, when we went to his school, we had to do cold baths and showers morning and night. He was ahead of the game, wasn't he? He was Wim Hof. He was Wim Hof. He was so ahead of the game. And I use his work still to this day. I think he was an amazing mentor and teacher. And I'm so glad I went to Mount View to meet because he got ended up getting fired from Mount View and setting up his own school. But I'm so glad I had that time at Mount View with him. And then before that, I suppose it's, I mean, probably all actors will say this, it's those opportunities that you've been given over the years by your school teachers. It's those people that might have seen something in you that you didn't see in yourself at the time. You know, my first, first there were things playing, playing Mary in the nativity play. <laughs> I kind of remember there was a guffaw from the audience when I, 
Joseph and I were trying to get the baby, the baby doll into the manger. And I remember <laughs> there was a moment and I, you know, you know, you kind of get distracted and like, what, why is someone guffawing? Why is someone laughing? <laughs> in, in those moments that you decide that, yes, this is good. I want to be an actor. I, I like this feeling. Do you know, I had a similar one. I played Joseph. Did you? How progressive. <laughs> so my mum, this is really weird actually, she used to cut my hair, my hair was really long, and she saved the hair <laughs> and she made the beard. <laughs> so I'm Joseph now <laughs> and I got that same laughter. But of course it was because was, when I was singing, the whole thing was sort of flapping because it was full of all this hair. It looked ridiculous. But maybe it goes back to that. Maybe because we got the attention that we thought we deserved. <laughs> and we'll just carry on making people laugh. Exactly. I think there are those little moments that all go into the decision to become an actor. My best friend, Jane, she lived two doors down. And she was, she was Jane, I was Jane. She was little, so she was little Jane, I was big Jane. It was the 70s. Parenting was very different. Your, your parents just let you let you be. They weren't interested in what you're doing. They wanted you to be safe, obviously, but they weren't hovering over you. They didn't know what you were doing. And so we were really bored most of the time and always looking for adventure. So we would, you know, devise skits, you know, devise dance routines, make up poems, do little plays, and then we'd perform them in the back garden. And we'd invite our siblings along and we'd invite our parents and we'd get them to shell out, you know, 5p for a program that we'd done. And then we'd managed to always get one of the neighbours to come in, Mrs. Hayward. She was, well, my dad said that she'd always have like this bottle with this white liquid in. And my dad used to say it was Terps. And whenever you used to smell it, it smelled like stuff that you would put your paintbrushes in, you know, it was such strong, strong. alcohol. But she was one of our best audiences. She she loved our work. <laughs> so it does go right back. I love that. How wonderful our, our youth was. That was the 70s. You did. You just got lost. You just got lost with your imagination. And I, yeah, it's just scary, isn't it? You wonder how our lot are going to turn out. Hopefully we've given them enough freedom in that sense to be themselves and... and <gasps> and not be scrolling all through their lives. It's just, I mean, we do as well. We're all scrolling, aren't we? Yeah, but it's so different, isn't it? I mean, we had so much time on our hands as kids and those moments of boredom, we created something and we were creative. And I don't know, if we have kids, are kids doing that? Probably, you know, they're doing it in different in ways. In different ways, yeah. Was there anyone in your family that was like in the business or like uh, played an instrument or? Matt's absolutely no one. <laughs> <laughs> Love absolutely that. nothing. But you know what I do? I was thinking about this and thinking, well, you know, my mom is West African. She's Nigerian. I was born in Nigeria. And my mom was one of 10 children. Her dad was a farmer and a midwife for the village. And my mom tells these great stories of her dad you know, going out into the bush. If a woman was in labour and the labour was really slow, we'd go out into the bush and knew exactly what plant to pick, to grind up, and you'd give back to the to the woman and her labour would come on really quickly and the baby would come. 
or if a woman is feeling weak after after giving birth, you know exactly what plant medicine to get to, to help her get her energy back. So my mum was from this tiny, tiny village. She was one of 10 children. Her dad could only afford to educate only some of the kids. So he decided to educate all the boys, thinking that all the girls in the family would be mothers and they'd be wives. So there would be no need for education. So my mum cannot read and write, you know, in, in, you know, she's illiterate. She is one of the smartest people I know. She's wise. She can read people so well, really unnervingly well. And I never wanted to bring a boyfriend around because she would, she would be so accurate about them. She's not book smart, but she has that great oral tradition of, of storytelling. And when my aunties used to come around at the weekend, their stories would go on for the whole day. And they, you know, Nigerians speak loud and there's drama, there's, you know, emphasis, there's, there's movement. And when I look back at their storytelling and, you know, have a story, you think it was a finish, but when they came back the week later, the story would keep going. It would be in Delhi. <laughs> It'd be from a different angle. And I think there was some theatrics in that that I I picked up on. It was very, very theatrical. And the um, colour. I remember your family at the wedding and, you know, they know how to dress. All of that is, again, it's quite theatrical. It's big. I'm big. surprised when I look at my, the photos from the wedding day, which you were at, I'm surprised that anyone, you can see anyone, because they all had their big LA's on. And everyone's kind of peeking around the side. <laughs> myself. Wonderful. Oh, your lovely family. So yeah. do you get back there? Do you, do you get, when was the last time you went? Oh my gosh, in 1986. I was born in Africa. So my dad is English. He always joked that he was just, just plain old Anglo-Saxon. You know, he's very smart, my dad, big brain. He got a scholarship to Dunwich College and then to Cambridge University. And when we were in Nigeria, he always wanted us to have British education. So that's why we, we moved from Nigeria back to England. And I think he was instrumental in my love of English literature. He would take us to the library on a Saturday and we'd kind of sit in the aisles with our books and just read and read. And he really instilled that into to me and my siblings that, you know, education was really important and reading and books and literature and poetry were places where you could get lost. You've always had books, piles of books. I can always uh, remember you around books, it's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking over here and I've got my book big bookcase with, with books. Horatio will say something to me and he'll go, Mom, you're still reading that book? And I'm like, it doesn't really matter. I will get to it. <laughs> you know, I've got them piled up at the side of the bed, but there's nothing like a good book. I love that about your family. Do, when when your mum came over, when, when she came over with you, did she bring her brothers and sisters? I think through the years they came over, yeah. But at first it was just her and her sister that came over. And then my my uncle, her brother, later yeah. came over and another auntie. Without my grandparents delivering my mum, <laughs> that sounded really weird. There were two in Malta that were born in Malta and then my mum and the other brother was born here. but. 
again, they made those journeys. They made those incredible journeys, like with other children, with babies. They don't, they didn't have the language. They somehow knew one person and they built their lives. And the 70s in England were, were so different. I mean, you know, especially if you were my colour and my mom's colour, the 70s was, was rough. You know, we when we moved to Croydon, so we first moved to Cambridge, because my dad obviously had gone to Cambridge. So we first went to Cambridge. Then we moved to Clapham, which is where my grandparents lived. And then we ended up in Croydon. And our next door neighbours were National Front, belonged to the National Front. I mean, can you imagine? That's, that's who your neighbours are. And they're all the, the sons were skinheads and... There was a doctor that was my age and we used to call the whole family the get-ins because the dad would shout, yeah, to the kids and the kids would have to go scurrying in and then you would hear him beating them with his belt. It was a really disturbing family. But I also think, I was thinking about this and I think that was one of the inputs of me being an actor also because... There was one day that I ended up sitting in their house on their uncarpeted stairs with the daughter and she was showing me her doll or some, some sort of new toy. And we heard her dad's voice. And I remember in my brain thinking, I need to hot tail out of it. I need to scurry down and go through the front door. But she sat there on these wooden stairs and she froze and she peed herself. Oh. Remember at the time as a kid, I think I was like five or six, thinking, oh my God, there's there's layers to this, like this human experience that I just have no idea about. I, I was fascinated, I was intrigued. I don't think I was as disturbed as I am now telling you this story because it's really disturbing. But I was kind of like, what you know when you just you you don't know all the elements of going on but you you know that there's sense your sensory overload for instinct yeah. as to what's going on here yeah and i think i think about that memory because i think it was an awakening of there's different layers and i think that's what's always attracted me about acting and that's why i love acting there's so many different layers to the human experience and we're not all tapped into all of them you know, at any time, and even though that's sorry, that's a hard, horrible kind of story, but it was it's it's one of the inputs for sure. Whoa! Wow! Sorry, now. <laughs> what a scene! You sat there, age five. What an experience! I mean, everyone, like you say, it's a human experience, and we all go through different things. But you're able to work from that from your own experience so that's that's cathartic in its in its way isn't it that you can bring those emotions and you do it so well and I'll isn't Jane wonderful you can give her some love on Instagram at Jane Wall official if you enjoyed this episode please do leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts Five-star reviews help us climb the charts more than plays, so we'd love it if you give us a few kind words and five gold stars. 
There's loads of bill chat coming up in parts two and three, which is a festive treat. We will be releasing both parts in December. Part two on Christmas Day and part three to see you into 2024 on New Year's Eve. In the meantime, wrap up warm, take care of yourselves and I'll see you soon. Bye for now. You have been listening to The Bill Podcast, presented by me, Natalie Rolls. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com, shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk and cityfiction.co.uk. The Bill Podcast is produced by Oliver Crocker, co-produced by Ben Adams, Glenn Allen, Rob Cook, Georgina Dark, Sarah Kuyper, Calvin Millward, Maz Mirabliss, Alex Mockler and Simon Wolfe. Executive produced by Isabel Allen, Ben Ashmore, Alana Dewar, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, Tony Drury, Dan Evans, Laura Ewing, George Fairbrother, Luke Hegarty, Alan Hunting, Edward Kellett, James Ladane, Lucy McNeil, Gary Moncur, Danny Morris, Steph Morris, Claire Norbury, Laura Pinifay, Michael Seeley, Tom Sherrington, Angel Stannard, Paul Statter, Patrick Stratford, Tom Wentworth, Michael Weil, and Sarah Went. The theme music is composed by Matthew Annis. You can unlock over 100 hours of bonus The Bill podcast content as a patron, including cast and crew commentaries, reunions, reactions, billgrimages, <laughs> off-the-beat podcasts, and much more. Support us from 2 49 a month at patreon.com forward slash The Bill podcast. 